This is the Book Marketing Action Podcast, and I'm Becky Robinson. Since 2012, my team and I have partnered with more than 100 authors to launch more than 130 business books. On this podcast, I'll share the best insights and actionable ideas from our work so that you can implement sustainable activities to reach your goals for your book. Whether you're a seasoned author looking to breathe new life into your book or someone who dreams of writing a book someday, this podcast will help you be more successful in getting results as an author. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Aubrey Pastoric, and I'm the producer of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. The episode you're about to hear is an interview that Becky conducted with Bev Kay while working on her upcoming book, Reach, Creating Lasting Impact for Your Book, Message, or Cause. I wanted to share with you a little bit about Bev Kay before we get into the episode. Dr. Bev Kay's name is recognized internationally as a professional dedicated to helping individuals, managers, and organizations understand the practical how-to principles of employee development, engagement, and retention. Her books and learning materials have stood the test of time. In 2018, ATD honored her with their Lifetime Achievement Award, recognizing her advanced knowledge and extensive practice across the talent development field, her thought leadership, and her contributions to the profession. The Association of Learning Professionals also honored her with their 2018 Thought Leadership Award for her body of work in support of work-related learning and performance. Bev's books include Love Them or Lose Them, Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go, Hello Stay interviews Goodbye Talent Loss, and Up is Not the Only Way. In 2019, Bev was recognized by the Institute for Management Studies with its Lifetime Achievement Award. I hope you really enjoy this conversation between Becky and Bev. So Bev, you started your business and your thought leadership career before the rise of the internet. Can you tell me about the different experiences that you've had in building Reach for Your Work both before you had online tools at your disposal and now after? So you have to think about that span of time because I wrote my first book was published by Prentice Hall in 1982. And before that, I had been out there doing workshops and doing seminars, but the birth of that first book and it was titled Up is Not the Only Way. And it was a systems approach to career development, not a training approach, which I later moved into. And I guess as I moved into the training approach, my way of letting the world know what I had was through speaking at no charge, of course, at every conference I could. And that meant in-person talks, not only every national ATD, but every city, all of those. And it took a lot of my time, all of my time. And gradually, as I built a following and more and more requests came, then I needed to build an organization. Then I needed other people to deliver because I couldn't do it all. When did you start that side? Bev, the building, the training company around your work? Probably in the 80s, probably in the 90s. So the 80s was mostly me. The 90s, I started to build a company. And that meant get other people and train them. And that meant get salespeople. And that meant get marketing people. And eventually, it meant a leadership team and all of that. 
So Bev, you mentioned that in the 80s and 90s, before the internet was as large as it is now and as active. Tell me a little bit about what your marketing team did as you started to build reach for your training company in the 90s. Were you doing like fax newsletters or mail newsletters? And how did all of that transition over once people began using email and other approaches? Right. Yes, it was the newsletters and it was fax and all of that. And there were some... One individual who was training people like me on how to send out slightly different marketing pieces with each one being different and then watching where the response came from to know which marketing. It was mail, all mail marketing. It was all postcards. It was everything was mail. And then we were trying to track which piece of mail got the most interest. And I know I'll remember the guy who did it because he built a big business on it because all of us training companies were using that same approach. Got it. That's so interesting. So what about the transition to doing online marketing? Tell me about your choice or decision or entry into using online approaches to reaching your audience. I still would not call myself a big online marketeer. I do not think I use social media well. I do not think still to this day that I know all the nuances of how to use it. And in my time, I probably have hired a number of people to show me and eventually had full-time marketing person. But I think in my own head, I marketed myself by being seen a lot of places. And the early books I wrote, 1986 and 1993, and I maybe during those years, a book carried a following, even more maybe than now. Now, maybe your online presence can carry as much of a following as being the author of a book can. Maybe. I don't haven't tested that. So how many books have you done? And do you have any sense of how many copies of your books have been sold around the world throughout your thought leadership journey? I don't know the latest because I'm not one of those people who watches. And I should because the only payback for all the work you do is to say, oh, look where my number is now. <laughs> I haven't done that. Some of my co-authors have. But all I know number-wise is that one of the books is probably up to 150,000, 100 to 125, 150. And there's two editions of Help Them Grow. Love Them or Lose Them is close to probably 800,000, 750, 800,000. But that's over. It's, it's life, which is a 20-year life. And six editions. And six editions. Mm -hmm. And others have been surprisingly low. Here's an interesting thing. When we wrote Love Em, maybe the first two editions, that was for managers, and it sold amazingly. And so we said, well, let's write the companion for employees. So we wrote Love It, Don't Leave It, 26 Ways to Get What You Want at Work. And we thought at that time, like Love Them had sold 150,000 or something. And we said, wow, we'll triple, we'll quadruple because there's more employees than managers. 
What we didn't count on was that organizations, and that was our big buyer, did not want to train employees at that time because they felt managers have enough problems as it is handling all the employees' requests. If we give them your book and employees start asking managers, well, I want this in my job and that in my job, we're asking for trouble. And in that book, we were pushing employees to form small groups and help each other. And I don't think organizations were ready for that either. So it did not sell as well. Although I keep thinking now it probably would. Got it. Okay. So I'm curious, Bev, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, about the ways that you're continuing to invest in your thought leadership brand. So I am a, not a baby boomer. I'm a, what did they call when you're past baby boomer? A, I think they're called traditionalists. But I'm not tra- traditional. Are they called the Grateful Dead? No. <laughs> so I am in my late 70s, and I think I have as much energy for all this as I've had all along. I may not remember <laughs> all that I did last week, but I certainly am as turned on and tuned in to this work. And, you know, by luck, I chose topics that have been evergreen for decades. They've morphed and they've changed, but the need for us to help people grow careers is still bigger than ever. And the need for people to be engaged and retained is as big as it ever was, if not more so. So I am more into getting blogs out and more into getting tweets out and more into that than I've ever been. And luckily I have help because I could never do it myself. I don't know how people stay up on all the social media because I'm inundated. It feels like more than ever with it. And you mentioned, Bev, that your approach is different as a result of COVID. Can you share a bit about that? Well, like everybody in the field, everything's on Zoom. So whether it is my consulting work, nowadays I'm calling myself a guide on the side and a sage on the stage. And the guide on the side is a lot of help that I'm giving to organizations using my wisdom over the years to help them think differently about my core subjects and my sage on the stage is still doing keynotes for 1,500 people at a pop and watching it work, which is surprising to me and enjoying it. So tell me a little bit about what makes motivates you to continue. You said that you're tuned in and turned on as much as you always have been. Your topics are evergreen. So what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning, Bev K, and continuing to do this work in the world? (laughs) Well, certain days I really say, no, I don't want to get out of bed. But I think I'm still a learner. I think I'm still an avid learner. And what I've been learning through COVID is that we can teach as much through conversation with one another or with an audience as we could 
by using our wonderful slides and training techniques to teach something. So what I'm doing mainly as I bring love them or lose them to life is engaging in conversations with organization leaders about the broad concepts instead of the typical training about individual ideas and now let's practice this. Because I guess I've always been about practicality. How can you make this simple? And since I started, I've had this 4D frame in my head. And the four Ds have whatever you do, make it deceptively simple, decidedly business-centric to the business I'm doing, deliberately flexible, and delightfully engaging. Did I say that already? Delightfully? No, you didn't. You got it. That usually is my number one. And I know if it's got those four, it has a chance of hitting the target. And maybe of all of them, deceptively simple. Anybody who knows me would say, yeah, that's Bev K. (laughs) That makes perfect sense based on what I've known and experienced of you, Bev. And I'm wondering, so just looking at it across the years, you've been creating thought leadership and training and speaking over four decades. And I'm wondering like, what you think the principles are that you followed that have helped you be successful. Is it those four Ds or is there some other kind of secret sauce to your work in the world that's helped you to have such an impact with your ideas? You know, one is don't go it alone. Like when you look at all that I've written, articles and books, only my first book was Me Alone, that 1982 book. From then on, I worked with others because the loneliness of writing alone, I did not enjoy. Not that working with others is easy. (laughs) Not that it's all pure joy, but it's colleagueship. And I think for me now in my work, that I call myself a guide on the side, I always bring other people along to ideate because that's what I think I love is the ideas. And I think when I look at any co-author, they're probably all better writers than me. But I think the thinking together and my need to twist it and turn it so that it rhymes (laughs) or it's poetry or it's alliteration, maybe is what I bring. So colleagueship, I couldn't exist without it. So Bev, what if anything have I not asked you about creating reach for your ideas in the world that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? I would say, and this is pulling from one of my own rhyming words, that you have to be opportunity-minded, always. And so many are opportunity-blinded. And I think I am opportunity-minded too much so that everything is, oh, wow, I should write. And my opportunity-mindedness made me not be a good leader because I could never stick to my own strategy. (laughs) But I think my opportunity-mindedness makes every Zoom call I'm on give me four other ideas that were not the topic of the Zoom call, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but were side 
things. And that's how I ended up with a sheet of ideas that I can't ever really get through. And on the opportunity thing, I think it's being an opportunity miner, mining for them, not an opportunity whiner, which is poor me. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is the books that should have been written that weren't, because I probably have had at least three or four like that with wonderful colleagues. And what stopped us was either of us would say, oh, that's already been done. And it would stop us from continuing. And that was the wrong kind of thinking because yes, everything's been done, but not quite the way we might do it. And early on, early, early, a publisher I worked with, and it was before Barrett Kohler became my go-to publisher, said, imagine that all your ideas are a string of pearls and you get to hold up the string of pearls by one pearl and the others drop into place. What is the one pearl that you think this book is all about? And so I think with each one, I keep thinking, what's the one that I hold up the necklace by? And because I've closed many books that should have been written. Wow, that's a great visual. It's one I want to take with me. Bev, thank you so much for investing some of your time with me today. You are so welcome. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for investing time to listen to the conversation between Becky and Bev today. As always, I wanted to share a couple of action steps with you like we do at the end of every episode. So here are today's action steps. Bev mentioned that she could not do what she does without help from others. So what I would encourage you to do is make a list of what you feel energized about, what you might need help with, and what you can let go of. This is something that we talk about a lot as an organization because you only have so much as it relates to time, energy, and money. So this is an important step when trying to determine your marketing efforts. Make a list, like I said, make a list and decide what you can do, what you can have others do, and what activities may not align with your marketing goals. And those are the activities that you'll let go of. The second action step is somewhat related to the first one. This one is don't go it alone. Bev mentions only her first book was with her alone, but from then on, she consistently involved others. So really think about who you can involve in your work, whether that's asking for endorsements, reaching out to your list to help share your book or message on social, or even sharing with others who might benefit from your work. You can even ask others to buy your book. We do have a resource on our website that can help you with this. It's called the Network Mobilization Cheat Sheet, and it will help outline everything that you need to do to get started with your asks, including a free template where you can start making your list of people and what you can specifically ask from them. So those are the two steps from today's episode. And if you have any questions for Becky about book marketing or publishing, feel free to email her at becky at weavinginfluence.com. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you invested some time with me. I hope you'll subscribe today and tell a friend about our show. Our website has many additional resources to help guide you no matter where you are on your book marketing journey. Check out the show notes of this episode for links to valuable free resources to support you.